0: Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.
1: Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Wednesday, July 8th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, a plutonium mishap in New Mexico. The popular YouTube musician bringing awareness to indigenous languages what's up with the coin shortage in the U.S., and Spotify's new personalized workout playlists. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Starting today with a real headline that sounds like it's straight out of a Back to the Future film. U.S. Nuclear Lab investigates breach at plutonium facility. Sounds like Doc's at it again, trying to keep the flux capacitor fueled. Uh, Really, officials are investigating the potential exposure of several employees to plutonium at Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico, one of the U.S.'s premier nuclear laboratories. In June, there was a breach involving a gloved box used to handle the plutonium, and now 15 employees are being evaluated. But, the lab says, there is no risk to public health, which is good news in general, and for me personally, since I have family not too far from the lab. Quoting ABC News, Los Alamos began as a secret city in the mountains of northern New Mexico, where government scientists and the military gathered as part of the Manhattan Project to develop the first atomic bomb. Since the 1940s, it has grown into a massive complex. The mission of producing the plutonium cores has been based at Los Alamos for years, but none have been manufactured since 2011, as the lab was dogged by a string of safety lapses. The June 8th incident at the lab's plutonium facility was recently made public in a weekly report by inspectors with an independent safety board that monitors activities at federal labs around the country. According to the report, air monitors sounded when an employee pulled out of the glove box gloves after weighing and packaging plutonium oxide powder. Significant contamination was noted on his protective clothing, hair, and skin. Nasal swabs were positive and airborne radioactivity was documented in the room. The inspector reported that radiation protection personnel successfully decontaminated the worker and that 14 other workers were also being monitored, end quote. So what's at stake when you are exposed to plutonium? Quoting live science, All radioactive material, as it decays, can cause harm. As unstable radioactive isotopes, or versions of an element with different molecular weights, decay into slightly more stable versions, they release energy. This extra energy can either directly kill cells or damage a cell's DNA, fueling mutations that may eventually lead to cancer. Plutonium has a half-life of 24,000 years, meaning that's how long it takes for half of the material to decay into more stable substances. As such, it sticks around in the environment and in the body for a long time. Plutonium exposure can be very deadly for living creatures. A 2011 study in the journal Nature Chemical Biology found that rat adrenal gland cells ferried plutonium into the cells. The plutonium entered the body's cells largely by taking the natural place of iron on receptors. That study found that plutonium can also linger preferentially in the liver and blood cells, leaching alpha radiation, two protons and neutrons bound together. When inhaled, plutonium can also cause lung cancer end quote. But the good news is that a number of studies have found potential treatments for plutonium exposure, including existing drugs used for treating iron processing disorders like osteoporosis. And no doubt a top-secret advanced lab like the one in Los Alamos has plenty of methods for treating exposure that we laypeople aren't necessarily privy to. I mean, I hope they do anyways. The lab doesn't exactly have a great track record for safety and regulations. And I know that a dangerous breach at a plutonium facility isn't exactly good news, but I find these super secret labs endlessly fascinating, and we usually only hear a peep out of them when something goes wrong. So this is what we got. Quechua is a native Andean language spoken by millions of people across Ecuador, Colombia, Bolivia, Chile, Argentina, and Peru, where it's the second most widely spoken language after Spanish. It was even featured in the recent Dora the Explorer movie. Yet, like many indigenous languages, Quechua can be the subject of stigmatization and faces challenges to its survival. One young Peruvian musician is helping to change that. Since 2015, at the age of 14, Renata Flores has been creating covers of popular songs and writing original music, both in the Quechua language, mixing elements of pop, trap, hip-hop, and electronica with traditional Andean music and instruments. Though she'd been singing and learning piano and violin at her parents' music academy from a young age, Flores' career really kicked off after she posted a Quechua version of Michael Jackson's The Way You Make Me Feel, garnering nearly two million views almost immediately and worldwide attention for her unique style and authentic use of Quechua. The idea to incorporate Quechua and Andean instruments began when Flores and her mother were thinking of ways to stand out in a TV show contest Flores was competing in. When that video was so well-received, they decided to keep it up. But Flores didn't grow up speaking Quechua, even though her parents and grandparents did. Quoting Weiss, It's very common for many Quechua speakers to not teach their children or grandchildren the language because they consider this knowledge as a burden. To explain the shortage of active bilingualism in Peru, the linguist Virginia Savala uses the concept of linguistic ideologies, which are the ideas that people have about languages. For example, French is the language of love, German sounds rough, Italian, Portuguese, and Spanish are similar. Quechua, similarly to other indigenous languages, is associated with poverty, rural life, and illiteracy. These ideas have been shaped by history and society to the point that people hold on to these beliefs as if they were universal truths. And these truths are deeply embedded in their conscious thought process. Value hierarchies also exist with languages. Some are worth more than others. The end result is that many native Quechua speakers believe that using Quechua in public is unnecessary after learning Spanish. Either by shyness or shame, they reserve their maternal tongue for private spaces and intimate conversations end quote. But Flores says that when she heard her older relatives speaking in Quechua as a child, it was like a secret code, and when they spoke it, quoting Vice, everyone seemed more at ease, more confident, and trusted, end quote. So while she didn't set out on her musical career to reclaim the Incan language as much as much of the media has implied, Flores does have a new sense of pride for Quechua and is eager to share it with the world. Here is a clip from that The Way You Make Me Feel cover. <laughs> While Quechua may be seeing a bump in popularity and favor thanks to Renata Flores as well as other indigenous musicians working across genres, other indigenous languages around the world are not faring as well. 40% of the approximately 6,700 spoken worldwide are in danger of dying out. Zavala, the linguist, says the key to language survival is to encourage bilingualism and fight against some of those linguistic ideologies that paint some languages, usually indigenous ones, as inferior to others. This effort can be bolstered by institutional action like legislation on public policies for inclusion and supporting classes and research, but also by pop culture like social media and music. And for her part, Flores is determined to use her music as a force for good. Quote, My mother and I always talk about issues that are happening. What could be the theme for the next song? What it can teach? I don't want to make songs about nothing. I want them to reach people. End quote. You can check out other songs by Renata Flores at the links in the show notes. The last time that I went to the grocery store a task both more rare and more time-consuming than it used to be in the pre-pandemic era, I noticed a sign scotch-taped to the self-checkout register alerting me that the nation was facing a coin shortage and that I should avoid paying with any denominations that would require the issuing of change in coins. That was the first I'd heard of this. And I'll be honest, I had a moment of thinking that my local grocery store was making this up for some reason, but it turns out it is completely true, and it's yet one more ripple effect of COVID-19. Quoting the New York Times, In the latest indication of how the coronavirus is disrupting life in unexpected ways, the flow of coins has become gummed up as consumers stayed home and avoided touching physical cash. In particular, customers have not been dumping their piggy banks into kiosks at grocery stores in exchange for bills. As the country has begun to reopen, the supply of coins has failed to keep up with renewed demand for a type of currency that, even in an increasingly digital world, remains essential to business, end quote. Some of the places that have kept coins in circulation for years even as digital payments increase are the very types of places that have not seen much attention during lockdown, like amusement parks, vending machines, parking meters, and more. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell also pointed out in a virtual hearing last month that the flow of coins has further been disrupted by the closure or changing operating procedures of banks. The whole system has kind of come to a stop, he said. And even where the banks may be open to issue coins, they're not receiving them in usual amounts from the Federal Reserve. Randy Graham, the chief executive of the First National Bank of Tennessee, has only been getting 40% of his usual order of pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters. If this lasts any length of time, there's no question that we'll be looking at our customer base and saying, sorry, we don't have it, he said. While there are a number of reasons that the flow of coins has been tamped down from the pandemic, it doesn't appear that the shortage has anything to do with lockdown affecting the minting of new coins. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said that the Bureau of Engraving and Printing did indeed work through the lockdown to ensure that cash was delivered to the Federal Reserve. Quoting the Times, The Fed began to ration its coin supply on June 15th, giving banks a portion of their requested change supply depending on what they had historically requested, among other factors, a move that the central bank says is a temporary measure. The strategy will remain in place as long as necessary, a Fed spokeswoman said Wednesday, pointing out that change needs to begin circulating through commerce for things to go back to normal. Coin shipments are also ramping up as the Mint puts safeguards into place so manufacturers can work safely. Facilities in Denver and Philadelphia return to full production staffing levels on June 15th after reducing employees per shift earlier in the pandemic. The Mint will ship 1.2 billion coins during June, Michael White, a spokesman for the Mint said in an email to the Times, and is on track to increase that to 1.35 billion coins every month for the rest of 2020. Typically, the number is closer to one billion per month, end quote. Still, like toilet paper and disinfectant wipes before it, news of the shortage is already causing some people to stockpile coins out of fear, which would not help matters. Such cash hoarding was already happening towards the start of the pandemic both in the US and in Italy, though the effects of that were perhaps balanced out by a similar rise in contactless digital payments. But in keeping with that, rural communities and low-income individuals who depend more heavily on cash have, as usual, been hit the hardest by this shortage. In a report put out last month by the Bank for International Settlements, they note, quote, The COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted both the progress achieved and the remaining shortcomings in payments. The crisis has amplified calls for greater access to digital payments by vulnerable groups and for more inclusive, lower-cost payment services going forward, end quote. There used to be this really cool feature on Spotify where you could sync it with an app like Nike Run Club, and it would detect your pace while jogging, and then recommend a playlist of songs whose beats per minute matched your pace. It was pretty cool, but sadly, they retired the feature a few years ago. But this week, they launched a new custom playlist feature for workouts called Soundtrack Your Workout. If you go to the interactive site link in the show notes and are logged into Spotify, It guides you through a few questions, like how long your workout will be, what kind of workout you're doing, what genre of music you're interested in. Your options are rock, hip-hop, country, pop, indie, k-pop, latin, and metal. It also asks you what kind of vibe you want, like totally zen pumped up, or need motivation, as well as who you are working out with. And this is where it shows that Spotify really had people's changing exercise habits during lockdown in mind, because it has options for solo workout and working out with kids, but also working out with your partner in person and with friends virtually. You can also choose to only hear non-explicit tracks, and if you are the kind of person who likes to listen to podcasts instead of music when you work out, you can do that too. You can choose just music, just podcasts, or a mixture of both, though The Verge notes that the podcast selection seems to be preferential towards ones on the networks that Spotify has recently acquired, like Parcast and Gimlet. I tried it out, I asked for 30 minutes of indie rock for running, and uh, while there were a few bands that I liked and some good songs I hadn't heard of, it also put Nickelback on my playlist, so, you know, I felt properly offended. But I decided to tweak my options a little bit and ended up with a playlist way more to my liking with songs from The Smiths, 1975, and Ed Sheeran. Not bands I would ever think of putting on a running playlist, but I was into it. Now, if I could just listen to Spotify offline on my Apple Watch when I go running. Still, it's a pretty cool feature, because even though Spotify already has a huge existing library of workout-themed playlists, sometimes it's nice to have one that's a little more tailored to your specific music palette. And for Spotify power users like myself, Spotify definitely has more than enough listening data to achieve that. That is all for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird. I hope you all have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.